as the dinner rocks. Oh, Boosh Bolo! He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones again. Winner got it! Ball game! East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got him if he catches it. It's over. Ball game! Touchdown to Juan Stinson! 25 yards! J.J. German for the win! He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick. in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Sandos in the sidekick on a Thursday. It is a glorious Thursday. Good Thursday to you, Jake Sandos. Mike Gallagher, we are going to talk everything and everything, anything, everything, whatever word I'm coming up with, football. A little geeked up. I'm going to fly tomorrow. I'm going to go to lovely, spacious Fargo. I'm going to go to the Fargo Dome. I'm going to set up my stuff. Saturday morning, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to prepare. For quarterfinal action, ETSU, North Dakota State. Who would have thought Mike Gallagher in 2015? We'd be in a spot, A, nationally ranked, playoff win, and or even 2018. Who would have thought? A couple years later, because 2019 was hard to wash out of your eyes. <laughs> Spring, had a shot, obviously, some odd things. Maybe some more games played, more teams in the playoffs could have got there, but certainly this has been a glorious Well, year. I'm glad that you brought that up, and I hadn't really thought about this, but I brought it up at the beginning of – the spring season, and probably before fall 2020 as well, and then obviously there ended up being no season, but we discussed on air and off air how the 2018 and 2019 years seemed to kind of, and I don't know if you necessarily ever agreed with me or disagreed with me outwardly on this, but they kind of seemed to even out, right? You got the unbelievable fairy tale storybook championship in 2018 where you won all the close games. Well, then the football god smacked you down, and you lost just about every close game you could, and you're back down to earth. You're an ETSU. It felt like an odd karma thing. Yeah, you're an ETSU program that has had great moments over your history but have lacked consistent success for a long time. Heck, I think the stat was, that I've used a number of times, that since 1980, ETSU had like three seasons of more than seven wins up until the, I think this year. It might have been until 2018, but I, I think it was until – uh, this year. So there were glimpses of glory, but there was never the sustained success. And so what I thought was that third season was going to be really telling about Randy Sanders and where this program was headed. Well, you had a weird year, right? Because it was in the spring, you didn't get to play a full schedule. And I think that that kind of left you in a weird gray area, too, because it was like, well, it's not a fall season, it's not a full season, and you don't get non-conference opponents, and yeah, there was a championship, but it was a slimmed-down version, and you, you know, were very close to making the field, which is a big plus, but how 100% were really the other teams, and so on and so forth. And so then, by default, that third year bumped back to this year, and it's been the greatest, literally, in ETSU history. At least winningest. You may not say greatest because there was the one undefeated year, but it's been the winningest in ETSU history. Uh, so long story short, to answer your question, I think I could have seen some success coming. I also could have seen some failure coming. I certainly would not have seen anything to this kind of height. It's been absolutely unbelievable, and now you get to go and do it on the biggest stage you've been on in the most storied FCS building that there is. Well, it comes full circle. Let's talk about Vanderbilt. You're, what were 
I'm tr- I know I went back and listened to some of the podcasts. So I know what our thoughts were going into it openly, mm-hmm. and we felt pretty good about yeah. it. But looking back at that, there was nothing in that listening to our take of that game. There was nothing that led to what we're seeing. No. I mean, it certainly led to things, chips fall the right way, quarterback play, you know, some other things there. Then maybe – got a shot at conference championship because of what we saw last year, but certainly not to what we saw. It was amazing. You know, I think we felt pretty confident about ETSU would show well against Fandy as opposed to 2019. We felt confident about the start of the season. Thought ETSU could get off to a good 2-1 and one start, right? I mean, it was a lot of that without really saying it that way, but it it's really kind of amazing the ride we've been on. It's one of those things that, like, you just don't want it to end. I know it's got to end at some point because, if nothing else, January 8th is the last game for all of FCS this season, and so there will be an ending point. But it's like you just don't want the run and the feeling that you've had the last two weeks, which will be hard to duplicate because you could have two tight games moving forward next couple years, but are you going to have them at the last second for a conference championship and the last second to win a playoff game? Probably not. So why wouldn't you drink it in? I mean, the fans that came out to Wild Wing last night at the coaches' show were some folks I hadn't seen before. They were – two different sets of couples that said, hey, we bought tickets. We're, we'll see you out there. We're going to fly out and enjoy the game. And, you know, we, we really weren't planning on doing that. But after all this has happened, like, will we be here again? And I think that's the interesting part. 2018, we got there. I tried to soak it in because the only time ETSU had been in playoffs was 96 when I was a student. Like, obviously, we didn't have football for a while. But I'm sitting there going, you know, you kind of like 2013, the baseball tournament. I'm like, we haven't been there since the 80s. Like, I need to enjoy – Every second of that, soak up all I can. And now you've gone a couple times in four years, and now you're looking at how many guys you're losing. And, yes, you're losing key people. We can talk about this after football's over with. But certainly there's an opportunity to kind of keep the train rolling and get more chances. But I think this is a great statement game for ETSU on a national level as we get into X's nose here in a minute. But on a national level, just because there's still a who is this new team you know, we've got six of eight teams left to won a national championship. Another team has played in a title game, and then you have ETSU that's never made a semifinal. Well, you can tell who the new team is by the absolutely appalling line that is out there. It opened at what I saw as 21 and a half, and then quickly, very quickly, within like a half hour of the line being posted, it was up to 22 and a half, and now I see it at 23 and a half. Absolutely Appalling. And you heard how upset I was on Monday when we talked about, well, everybody's got the boxes, plus 10,000 to win the national title. And then the second worst odds, I suppose you'd call them, the second worst odds are like plus 2,200 for Montana. So we're almost five times less likely to go and win the national title. You must be the new kid on the block because you're being, or at least the thought that they're trying to do, they're trying to bully you right out of it and trying to introduce doubt in your own mind because there is a secret underground FCS society that wants to keep NDSU and JMU in power. Am I going crazy? I don't think so. You may think so. I don't think so. Uh, here's what I'll say. We kind of were shocked with the Kennesaw State line for the opposite reason. So I, we're not quite ETSU homers on this because last week we were like, you know, although ETSU fans were upset that they weren't favored, we were like, we get it. Maybe it should have been a, a full field goal Kennesaw State. This, I thought it would be about double what it was. I thought it would be about five or six for Kennesaw yeah. State. And, and So in fairness, we're not just, you know, being a homer saying I can't believe somehow ETSU is not favored in NDSU or something crazy, but 24, what it's approaching or near or whatever. Whatever you're listening, it might be up to like 28. Oh, you know? it's just uh, 
It's certainly, a, uh, I, I think, a slap. And, and, I mean, I could be way off base, but I just don't see a scenario where ETSU loses by four touchdowns, three touchdowns. I, they, it's just not what they do against anybody they play. But you go up Fargo Dome, it's different. I get it. We'll talk. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But just on a national respect, it's weird because it, I have a feeling if ETSU plays a nip and tuck game, it still won't get a lot of play. It still will be like, well, okay, great, they kept it close, but we knew they weren't going to win. Like that's the out for the three or four FCS riders that really kind of that you can put credence into, right? Unless it's like a last-second decision, like a Sam Houston incarnate word, right? Like hmm. I would hope that a one-yard. I would hope they give UIW a little bit of credit, right? You'd hope they give ETSU some credit for making it come down to that. But I agree with you 100. percent If it's like 24-10, 24-13, even if it's like 24-16, where the Bucks get a touchdown to get within a score late and lose by a wider margin than you know three, four, five points, um, and they don't have a chance to win it at the end, I'm 100 percent with. So I, that, that's one for, I, and then if they win, I'm kind of curious. What would the narrative be? Will the narrative be something was wrong with North Dakota State, yes. or will it be like, wow, ETSU, pretty good team? Like they just, they just, just because they don't beat anybody by a lot, I think that's what people who don't pay attention can't understand. And ETSU's played 28 games. We added that up yesterday. 28 games. Decided by one score or less. Of the 42 that Randy Sanders is coaching. Yeah, so since 2018, let's put that on there. They played more, but since 2018, that's that's the stat. North Dakota State's played 10. And here's what was amazing. Think about all the three-point, one-point last week, two-point games. You know, the West Carolina two-point win. All these other games within, like, a field goal or less. North Dakota State has played one field goal or less out of the 10 one-score games. So in... What is that, 40, 50-some games in four years? They've played one field goal game. One. That's incredible to me. They have one field goal game, one game decided by four. The other eight close games were six to eight points. Everything else is double digits. They, they, they just, they're not in those scenarios. They don't have to, and they put teams away. They do all that. Obviously, if ETSU has a third quarter of the way that they've had lately, which, and if you want to include the – I would include – the drive that started the fourth quarter for Kennesaw State that was from the end of the third it carried in the start of the fourth, you're looking at 39-7 to deficit last two weeks. That's something, obviously, if you give North Dakota State or anybody that's left in this tournament playoffs 15, 17, 18, 21 consecutive points without scoring, I don't believe at this point moving forward you're going to be able to pull out a win. So I guess what they're saying is, to your point about – North Dakota State not playing close games, ETSU playing close games. North Dakota State is going to exert their authority, not going to play a close game. This is why the line is so big. Here's why I'm so upset by it. The last time, and you'll see this in a theme of some of my content coming up towards kickoff and throughout the game as well, um, ETSU beat Vandy by 20. They were 21-point underdogs in that game, so it was a 41-point swing. Now, am I saying that ETSU is going to roll into the Fargo Dome and beat NDSU by three touchdowns? Absolutely I am not. I think this is going to be a one-score game either way, just like I said with that Vanderbilt game. It ended up being wrong, foreshadowing for bold predictions, which is coming up later. We'll also talk about just for a bit the FCS playoff games that are not ETSU and ESU in our second segment. If I'm to ask you, Vanderbilt versus NDSU, tomorrow, 
let's say neutral site, who wins? I would say Indians. And by how much? That's a good question. Uh, 14 to 17. Wow. That's strong, right? So I thought that the line would be NDSU by 8.5 against ETSU. That's what I thought it would be before it came out. Clearly way off base. Two more touchdowns added on to that. So if we're to use the transitive property, I thought it would be an 8.5 point game. ETSU beat Vanderbilt by 20. Now, you had, in his mind, Vanderbilt as a four-touchdown uh, underdog, and he thought that NDSU would win by 28. So you take off the 20 that ETSU beat Vanderbilt by, and then you have about an eight-and-a-half-point deficit. So if we're to use transitive backwards numbers and things like that, I think you can reason your way down to why I thought it would be eight-and-a-half, nine-and-a-half, um, basically the separating margin between an NDSU victory and an ETSU victory over Vanderbilt. Now, you think it would be 14-17 to 17 for NDSU, so that should put ETSU as a favorite. So maybe that's where it falls apart just a little bit because there's no way ETSU would ever be favored going into NDSU. But if we're to use the transitive property of the argument that I had with uh, this Buck fan the other day, then you got to about the 8.5 that I thought it would be. Um, 23.5 to me is just flat-out blatant disrespect. I mean, I get doubting a team. But when every other game is a six- or seven-point spread, as it is, as we'll talk about in a bit, um, and you have 23-and-a-half as the outlier, it just tells me that, A, obviously, you know, ETSU is getting nothing on the national scale, but, B, no one knows anything about this team. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people just pay attention to what are the scores. And I get that a lot. I get – you know, answered a lot of questions uh, this year, did a lot more podcasts as the year went along, did a lot more actual radio shows, especially in the mid- Midwest, Missouri Valley, Big Sky Country, not just on Bison 1660, but on others. And then that was sort of the theme, you know, well, you guys are just squeaking by. You're very, I mean, they worded it a nice way, but it's basically like, I mean, how are we supposed to, you know, when nobody can beat anybody by more than seven, then what does that say about the league? I'm, again, the league doesn't have respect because the last several years they've had trouble winning playoff games. And the one thing that if you're a Southern Conference fan, and this would this would irk me, but if Chattanooga was in ETSU's spot, you would have to pull for Chattanooga. Now, I don't know that ETSU will. I don't know that I will, but that's what the rest of Southern Conference should do. I don't know that Chattanooga's pulling for ETSU. The rest of Southern Conference probably hates the Bucks right now because uh, they just feel like they're not that good, just like Kennesaw State feels like they're not that good. But guess what? ETSU keeps winning. So... ETSU and the Southern Conference have to establish some semblance of respect for the Southern Conference. And if they win that game, I think I'll be curious to see the narrative because I don't think it's necessarily going to be, you know what, that ETSU team's pretty good. No, no chance. You know, the Southern Conference may be a little better than we thought. It's just not It's not going to happen. I mean, I read where a couple of Kennesaw State fans were like, you know, you, you, you still got a good team. It's not a great team. Congratulations. You know, they weren't they – weren't, Moany about it. They were just like, you know what? You have a good team. Um, it was a great game. It's fun to watch. Oh, I saw you know. some people that said a lot more slanderous stuff than that. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's fair, but I, I think some of it was still like, you, you know, you didn't get respect for how you won the game. And I get it. You're down late at home. You needed a little bit of uh, divine intervention or something to get the win. I get. Some of, but you didn't get respect for that win. If ETSU would have won by 20, would that have given them more respect going into NDSU? I think it would have, but that still tells me the line would have been 14 or 17. 
even if ETSU would have beat Kennesaw by that. So I, I, it, it's hard to say. Now, we can dive into some of the games uh, or, or dive into this game, and I think it's a, it's a battle of two teams that play very similar, teams that like to be under center, like to run two tight ends, like to run power eye formation, like to run between the tackles, and specifically for North Coast State, they like to run to the right and left of the center and between the center and guards and the A-gaps. Like, they are tremendous. Most teams don't want to run there, right? They want to run between the guard and tackles or outside the tackles. Or in between tackle and tight end. But still, nobody really wants to run straight up the gut, and that's something that they do are very successful in North Coast State. And it's a different philosophy in each issue for the simple reason they've gone with the two-quarterback system the last few games. They run three running backs in and out. So there's five different, because both quarterbacks will run the football, there's five different ball carriers a game, and they're second in the nation in rushing. And I think their leading rusher still is under 700 yards for the year. So just incredible how successful they are with just sort of a plug-and-play mentality. But this will be a matchup between the line of scrimmage, whose offensive and defensive line can control line of scrimmage because both teams want to run the football. They want to control the clock. North Dakota State does it the old-fashioned way. It is run the football, control the plot, uh, clock, play great defense, and try to win 24-10. Or whatever. And then if they score more than that, great. But basically their goal is to hold teams to 10 points and try to score 24 more. Similar to what, not quite that. I said if ETSU could just hold teams under 24, I feel like ETSU could score 24 and win games. Theirs is they want to hold people to 10, and then they'll know that they will score 24 more. I talked to Matt Enns, and he echoed kind of the same stuff you said. He said back in the 60s when this thing was really established. Now, he's pointing to some history that I think you'd have to find some real NDSU diehards. And um, if you got into their previous iterations at different levels of what they did, then you find some of that history. And the modern-day common FCS or football fan is not going to give that respect because it's not FCS or FBS, the highest level of football, quote-unquote. Uh, but he pointed to, you know, all the way back in the 60s, like, look, what has this thing been built on? Offensive line and strong defense. And he's not going to change that, right? He was with Chris Kleiman for five years before Kleiman took the Kansas State job. He just inherited, after being the defensive coordinator, this job, and rightfully so, as you can see. I mean, he was the first college coach in modern-day history to win 16 games in a year. 16-0, that was a full NFL schedule before this year. 16 games, 16-0 in 2019, won a national championship, and that was just his first year. I mean, he's clearly not doing any disservice to this legacy. One more thing on NDSU versus ETSU in terms of the spread. I wonder, and the perception, I wonder how many times it's going to take before ETSU does get that kind of respect. And I look, just looked back quickly as you know we were going through this and looked at NDSU and how many Power 5 teams they had beaten during their run, right? Eight national championships in the last 10 years. Really, if you throw out the spring year as I tend to, not to give them way too much credit, but it just wasn't them. There are a lot of guys that opted out. It was a weird year. Um, they go 7-3, and three, make the playoff, don't win the national championship. The last nine falls, they've won eight national championships. I remember them most and I think this is when they really started to turn heads for the Power 5 upsets, and specifically the one against University of Minnesota back in 2011, because, of course, I was a Gopher fan. I was covering the Gophers for some very minor and sketchy and back-alley different <laughs> outlets, right? Whoever will give you 20 bucks. But was able to get in the door to cover the games, right? And so they, in their last non-conference game, before they started this eight 
national title in nine-year run, nine-fall run, beat the University of Minnesota 37-24, to and since then they've beaten their only three other Power 5 opponents. Now, at that time, were they getting the kind of respect that ETSU was right now? Perhaps, right? Because they hadn't won national championships. They hadn't established themselves year in, year out on a FCS contending championship level. Last time they played a Power 5 school was like four or five years ago, and they beat a ranked Iowa team. I mean, it is time and time again. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised to see that after all that they've done, all the Power 5 teams they've beaten, all the championships they've reeled in, that yes, it is 23 and a half, and it's not the 8 and a half that I would like it to be, that I think it should be. Maybe if you look just this year versus this year, it should be closer to single digits, at least cut the spread in half, something like that. But it's impossible for people to throw out history and everything that they've done to the Fargo Dome. Heck, they've won 12 or lost 12 games in the last 11 years, and I do have every single loss broken down. It's not often you can do that because usually teams don't lose only 12 games in the last 11 years. I will get to that in a second. I think that this game, outside of being an obvious matchup of two teams that want to do very similar things, could be decided very early, and that has not been good news for ETSU. Now, yes, I know the Bucks are coming off, by all intents and purposes and all accounts, the greatest comeback in program history. Right? Greatest program, I mean, we can say that, right? I mean, greatest comeback in program history. If we were going to say that Austin Herricks versus Furman in 2018 was – then I think this trumps it because you're down 14 with 90 seconds to go. I mean, even Western, where they were down 15 with five and a half to go, still not the same. Exactly. Still not the same. And specifically with the stage that was on and what it now sets up this week. When North Dakota State can get out early and exert their authority and don't have to throw it, and this week maybe without two of their big weapons throwing the ball, um, that's obviously an issue. Now, you'll hear in the losses that I've broken down that they have, there aren't a whole lot of common themes. They seem to pop up out of nowhere, as those tend to with really great programs. Otherwise, you'd be able to diagnose what they do wrong and go attack it, right? But ETSU starts have not been good. They have not been good at all since the bye week, really. And you go back to every game since then, I counted combined two first downs on first drives. And both of those came last week. So... It's nice that there's progress, right? You get a couple of first downs last week. But that is really alarming. Four weeks in a row to go three and out on the very first drive. And I wonder in an environment like the Fargo Dome how quickly things can get downhill on you. If that one drive doesn't result in at least a first down or two, is the noise out of control? Does the energy start to build of, see, 23.5-point underdogs for a reason? And does some doubt start to enter? And maybe not even doubt but maybe some cracks in ETSU's armor where they've been so ironclad the entire year, have always been so what, now what, 0-0, play the next play. Um, Does the mystique, do the eight titles in the last nine falls start to breathe down the Bucks' necks? You know, I think that's that's where you can point to it could get out of control. The start of the first quarter, and that usually has not been a bad quarter for ETSU, minus – first downs and all that other stuff, but just in general, but if ETSU loses a coin toss, North Dakota State defers, you get the football, you go three and out, bad punt, or good punt return, or even just a fair catch, and here they come down and they score, then you get 12,000 people all over you. Then all of a sudden, do you get the false starts, do you get all that, I mean, that's the, you know, I said that last week, that just with option teams, 
and everything, but how about there's an actual stat that the Fargo Dome has caused 13 false start whistles in seven home games. It's actually in the game notes. <laughs> so, again, you can create um, some issue. and That doesn't sound like that much more than a usual road yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, that's hilarious. It's, that's a, it's almost. I, I mean, it's, it. it's almost two per. Uh, I'll give you that. I can't. ETSU hasn't had too many false start penalties this season in general, so I, I think that's going to you know. And ETSU has not played, and I would call a hostile crowd this year. That wasn't pulling for them. They're, they're just not. So I'd be curious to see is the moment too big. Is it? Is it sort of the the? I don't remember the exact quote, but catch me if you can. Talks about why is the Yankees so good, and the guy's like, I don't know why. He's like, well, because you know they're already beat when they see the pinstripes. And so, is it the aura of North Dakota State? Is it because they have so much going for them that you have to withstand the aura and survive the first couple series? And you're like, okay, we can play. The problem is sometimes North Dakota State scores on the first two, as I've seen a few of their games this year. At home, they've scored on the first couple drives, and by the time a team kind of settles in where you're trying to make up 14 points and you just can't do it. The third quarter would be alarming as well because that's really where ETSU has struggled. If they've struggled anywhere, it's been in the third quarter, specifically the last two weeks, and you just cannot come out of the locker room and give up, you know, 14, 17, 21 straight points, I don't think, unless you magically had a two-touchdown lead going into halftime. And even then, you still shouldn't be able – you shouldn't give it up. But even if you did – That would be magical. That, that would be – if you go in a locker room and you're up 14, and North Dakota State goes three straight drives and gets three scores, whether it's, you know, two touchdowns and a field goal or three touchdowns, I mean, still not looking good for the fourth quarter. So, I think if ETSU can survive the aura, and part of the reason why I think they're favored what they are, they're 174-27 and 27 in the Fargo Dome all-time, 29-5 and five at home versus top-10 ranked teams, 72-74 against non-conference opponents. They're 29-1 and one in the playoffs since 2010 at home. The only loss was the eventual national champion. So if the Bucks win, history says national championship, book it, because that's what happened in 2016 with James Madison. Jam you, yeah. So 32-game win streak. From September 2017 to 20, they played in Fargo Dome 28 years. 12 times they've gone undefeated in home. So there's a reason why I get why fans and odds makers and writers are looking at some historical facts and then that the new kids on the block, and because the new kids don't ever beat anybody, North Coast State just beats, pummels everybody, and never plays a one score game. I kind of can see where they're coming from, but then I watch some tape. And the one thing you can't tell from tape is size and speed. It's very difficult, especially if you don't have common opponents, because I don't really know what Missouri State size and speed looks like. I don't know, you know, what last week's opponent, Southern Illinois, looks like. But North Dakota State's in the, the loss to South Dakota State they got off to a bad start, and South Dakota State was able to jump up 21-7 and then hung on for the win. Missouri State, actually at North Dakota State, had one of the better starts. They were up 10-0, and then Bobby Petrino decided to go for it on fourth and one instead of kick a field goal, go up 13-0. They got stuffed. North Dakota State was able to go down, score touchdowns, 10-7. Then they come down, kick a field goal, 13-7. Halftime, North Dakota State gets two field goals. It's 13-13 halftime. And North Dakota State goes up 20-13, to 13, but in the fourth quarter, North Dakota State 
um, forced a turnover. And this is crazy. So up 20 to 13, North Dakota State rush uh, Patterson, who was the starting quarterback at the time over Miller, gets hit his arm and throws an interception 30 yards down the field. And you're thinking, okay, Missouri State 20. And I know they didn't score already, so I know something's going to happen. But it's 20 to 13. I'm thinking, boy, North Dakota State's going to be able to do something here. They immediately, Missouri State throws an interception, back-to-back interceptions. The difference is North Dakota State threw it 30 yards down the field. Missouri State threw an interception that was returned in additional 40 yards, and in two plays they've gained 70 yards of field position on two turnovers. And then they punch it right in, and you could see the wheels come off. That's an unconventional way to move the ball. It certainly very is. Very creative. That sounds like something Randy Sanders would come up with if you listen to my postgame show a lot. But I, that being said, there are times where teams have been able to jump on them early. One was able to win, South Dakota State. One was in it. It was a 27-20 final score, one of the, the three games they played single digits. Actually, both those games were their single-digit games by seven and eight, respectively. So ETSU has to have somewhat of a good start because the other games – that they have, North Coast State has been in, when they jump out to a 10, 14-point lead, nobody can crawl back into it. So the start of the game is critical, I think, for ETSU just in the environment, just to set – and if not now, set the tone to say we belong. So we talked about the first quarter, third quarter. In the fourth quarter, of course, you get there, and ETSU has been the David Copperfield of the FCS. You know, just this Penn and Teller incredible uh, – illusions and just outrageous happenings that certainly appear like otherworldly events, right? I mean, they've been incredible. Five times come from behind in the fourth quarter and one. You mentioned Randy Sanders. I think, obviously, this is ETSU's biggest task to date since, and I'll qualify this by saying, the conventional stage that ETSU is on right now, right? So they're in the FCS quarterfinals. They're facing NDSU, a traditional power. Yes, in those early couple of years, they did face some opponents, and they got absolutely destroyed, got their doors blown off. We're not equipped, though. You knew what was going to happen going into those games. It was essentially a high school plus team, right? And it's no offense to those guys, but you didn't have any veterans at all. Like It was like community college football, again, and I mean that with the utmost respect to building this program into what it has been, but when you're not given any upperclassmen, the first two years are going to resemble that, and you're not playing other teams at your level, really. That's why I compare it to you know community college football, right, or high school plus, or whatever you want to call it. All the respect in the world to those guys, because without them, they, you know, were able to sacrifice and fight and blood, sweat, tears, the whole thing, play without jerseys and footballs and helmets for the longest time um, as they led up to kickoff. Without them, these teams would not be here. It truly was sacrifice because you knew you were going to, a lot of the Saturdays that you played, go out and get your crap kicked in. <laughs> like, there was no question about it. Um, but if you look at since ETSU has developed as a program and gotten – to a point of being not only competitive but excelling, right, and being to where they are now, I think that this is their biggest task to date, and that includes eh, take away, you know, maybe a Tennessee on the road, right? Um, but that was non-conference, you know, early. Again, you probably knew it was going to happen there. If you're talking about late in the season games that matter, this is it. And 
Um, I think for Randy Sanders, this is his biggest task yet. As a coach, as a play caller, more importantly, I went back and looked at one area that stands out just because of the, and there's a lot of them with that North Dakota State, right? There's a lot of them. But third down conversion percentage against. They're third in the nation. Third in the nation, very good. Maybe not unexpected for a team that's, you know, universally been ranked first or second for the last decade. But they're allowing opponents to convert at a 25.6% clip. I mean, that's damn near a quarter of the time, right? Um, Each season they've won a national title. They've been top 12. To me, that says players play the plays, of course, and Coach Sanders will be the first one to tell you what makes you a better coach, having good players. And a lot of coaches that I've talked to will say, look, the program only took off when we got some really high-level guys in here, you know, and you can credit that to the coaches for bringing them in, but the players got to play when they're there. Um, But while players are going to play on the field, that means to me that coaches are putting them in excellent positions. It is not a couple of guys that are here now. It is not, wow, they've had a really good senior class and they've done it all four years. It's over a long period of time, and it tells me that they have perfected what they do defensively, situationally, not only on third down, but leading up to third down, because as we've talked about time and time again, first and second down dictate what's going to happen on third down. And 25.6% is a minuscule number. I will be interested to see how Coach Sanders responds to what NDSU does in those situations, are we going to see some things that we haven't seen yet? Or are the Bucks going to stick to their guns and say, you know what, we're here, this is what's gotten us here, and we're going to make sure that if we do this, we're going to be who we are because it has been good enough to this point. Um, 25.6%, it, it's almost unheard of. So as a play caller, what does Randy Sanders do? It will be, I believe, a cat and mouse game and a battle on the sidelines of who is putting their players in better positions in those key situations. Be curious to see if they try to run the ball first and then try to pass off the run, or if they pass first to try to loosen up to get the run game going. It will be interesting to see. Um, a lot of teams have play action passed first play on North Dakota State. South Dakota State's a prime example. Then they hit a 75-yarder for a touchdown. I'm not predicting that, but that's the thing. If you throw one first down, you're incomplete. Second 10, what, you're going to put it on the ground, right? And now North Coast State's doing what you're doing. When you can become predictable, I think that's going to be the issue. I think the cat-and-mouse game for Coach Sanders has got to be trying to get advantage in the run game, numbers game. And then North Dakota State does not like to blitz a lot. Now, they did against Missouri State because Missouri State started to hurt them. But they try to rush their front four, which is top two, three in the country, period. And so they're going to try to get pressure with the front four. They're going to drop seven. They'll play a lot of Tampa two zones. So you could see an opportunity where Tyler Rydell and them is going to try to hit the seams and, you know, Nate Atkins or Julian Lane Price running down the middle of the field. But in the same token – they do a nice job of mixing up in certain third downs just to show you something different and, and to go a little man here and there. They're generally, if you can get a pass play on first or second down and it's a run-type situation, they're always going to be in a little bit of a zone coverage. You can kind of guess that. But they will go man, some on third down, just to change the look because obviously if you run the same defense every single time, uh, teams are good. they very good technique. They're not very big defensively. But just like Kennesaw State, they are fast. They're hardly ever out of position. 
there's maybe a couple times the uh, strong safeties come down a little too strong, got caught in a run game. But other than that, I mean, they're generally always in the right spot. And so they just trust it's sort of like, you know, Billy Taylor's defense. You know, play technique, don't try to be a superhero, and the plays will come to you. And the line of scrimmage is going to be huge because if ETSU can't get any movement on the front four and the run game is nil, that's going to be a problem. Because if they're just one-dimensional, that's a problem. If they can't get the – you know, they can run a little bit but can never throw the football, that's a problem on the other end. You know, and it be curious to see. Most teams what? They're trying to take away Sailors and Holmes. I'm not going to be shocked if that's the what North Dakota State's going to try to do, take away Sailors and Holmes. So how we ETSU – Try to get the run game going. Will they try to do some uh, little screens, uh, little jet motions? Will they do s- different things to try to get those guys the football? And then how much is Tyler Rodell going to have to throw? In the last couple of weeks, they have not had a problem letting Rodell throw. Then I'm even talking late in the game. They've been able to have drives that we saw where, I'm try- you know, against Mercer, there's a nine-yard, eight-yard pass to Julian Price, and they take a shot deep and don't get it. Then they – uh, you know, third down is overshot, and all of a sudden you punt. We've seen things like that where even in a second and two, coach is trying to outguess the opponent and try to find different plays uh, for pass plays. We saw that similar at Kennesaw State. So I don't think they have a problem with Tyler Rydell throwing. I mean, if you look at him historically, he snuck up on some records. He's five pass completions away from 200. The only other person to do that is Greg Ryan, who did it twice. He is 253 yards away from the single-season yardage record. He is three touchdowns away from tying Greg Ryan for most touchdown passes in the season. He's already tied Greg Ryan for second single-season touchdown passes. And this is all these in the beginning of the year, if we talked about any of this, it, it would not. And to step further, if he just throws the same completion percentage this game and maintains where he's at now, it would be the top's completion percentage in ETSU football history. Wow. So. There's some things Rydell can be frustrating, can do some things, you know, oof, what is he doing? He, but he generally doesn't turn over the football. He takes care of the football. He can get the right run checks, doesn't turn it over, and gives you a puncher's chance late. Who knows? Because there's one thing we do know. ETSU knows and believes they can win games late. My counter-argument to that is North Dakota State has not been in many. They've only been in one field goal game in a decade, not a decade, in four years. In four years, they've had one game decided by a field goal. One. ETSU eats that for breakfast at least seven times a year. So I would be curious to see if it comes down to a one-possession game, can ETSU keep it to a one-possession game? And as a underdog and as a huge underdog, that's the goal. You want a puncher's chance, you know, in the 12th round of a heavyweight fight, you want, you know, five minutes in the ball, or you're up a score, five minutes trying to hang on to it. I mean, you want a one-possession game to give yourself a shot. Last week, nobody can do I – mean, I don't know if ETSU or any other body in college football is going to be able to duplicate that in the last 90-some seconds. Exactly what happened. So, that being said, line of scrimmage has got to be huge. ETSU cannot be anemic on third down. Last week was one of the worst th- – now, they're still top 10 in the country or 12 in third down conversions. I think it's top 10. So – they still are there, but four of eleven last year. That's the problem, and they were in third and long, four of those, and ETSU no, zero for four. ETSU has been very good lately, 
or all season, I should say, and not being in third and long. They're going to have to figure out ways to get in medium and short range to make North Dakota State guess a little bit. Are they going to run? Are they going to throw? What are they going to do? I, you know, if you can get in the third and three, it's still a situation where ETSU can, you know, decide to throw the football. They can spread you out, run the football. They can try to go power game. It'll be interesting to see power on power what happens, because I've seen North Dakota State have a couple goal line stands um, defensively because they are uh, not percentage wise as far as not letting teams score in the red zone, but they only give up nine touchdowns in the red zone. And we were impressed by Kennesaw State's like thirteen in the season. red zone. Nine for the season. Now, like Kennesaw State, they've given up some big play touchdowns. And so there is some big play capability. As a matter of fact, a couple of the guys predicting the games uh, that I've heard, a couple of them have said, like, you know, I, I think ETSU is going to have a couple touchdowns on the board, and it'll be close to what you think because one of the two guys, say there's a home, is going to be able to hit a big play. They're going to be able to score. Or they're going to have another play that gets them down in scoring range and maybe get a field goal. But they're going to get – 10 points because they're a good football team to get 10 points, and that's what North Coast State's given up. And then they'll get 10 more because of some big plays because of some top-end talent. But, yeah, I think ETSU's got to hit some big plays. Uh, I, I, going, you know, 12 plays, 65, 75 yards, you know, pro, I would love to see three or four of those. But relatively speaking, you know, they may only have one 10-play drive. So if that's the case, then they're going to have to hit some big plays to get down the field. And you cannot miss on two things, opportunities to score. And North Coast State gives you chances at turnovers. I've seen a lot of dropped passes, a lot of non-fumble recoveries. The one thing ETSU has been better than only two teams now is a better turnover margin. That's James Madison and South Coast State. South Coast State forced like four turnovers last week to overtake ETSU in the, in the plus-minus uh, column. So if ETSU just stays as a third-best takeaway team and will be able to create a couple of turnovers, but you can't miss that. If they throw a ball out in the flat and a linebacker, a corner, or safety can't hang on to it, that's a missed opportunity that on this stage of the game could be costly. I see no way this is not a one-score game. Does that mean that it's going to be a victory? Not necessarily. But there is a path to victory. And I needed to find that and try to dissect and diagnose where NDSU falls short when they do fall short, which has only been 12 times in the last 11 years. They are 146 and 12 during that time. So I went back and tried to find the commonalities from the losses. I threw out the spring because, as mentioned earlier, just did not really think that that was the same product and I thought that might skew or dilute what I was trying to do. So, right off the top, surprisingly, because these are things that I think of when I think that there's a team that's going to win and a team that's going to lose, who's going to win penalties, right? Not shooting yourself in the foot. Turnovers, like you mentioned. Getting off to a hot start, so scoring first. And red zone. And all of those ended up being pretty non-factor. Like, it wasn't really something that showed up a lot in terms of consistency over these losses that I looked at. In 2011, lost 27 to 24 to Youngstown State. Youngstown got 228 on the ground, had a 150-yard rusher, and ESU forced a turnover, but were outgained 451 to 293. First downs were 24 to 11 in favor of Youngstown. 
and DSU outpossessed 38 to 22. They were 0 for 2 on fourth downs, gave up two sacks, lost two fumbles. In 2012, lost 17 to 14 to Indiana State, who did not turn it over. They only had 197 yards, did Indiana State, but 96 of those were from Shakir Bell. NDSU threw three interceptions and gave up three sacks. Bell, the running back, almost half their yards. 2013, zero losses. Oh, great. Congratulations. 2014, lost 23-3 to to Northern Iowa, outgained NDSU 311-175. David Johnson, yes, that David Johnson, went for 138 on the ground. Carson Wentz threw an interception, and NDSU gave up three sacks. 2015, lost 38-35 to Montana. Now, the first three losses, they had been down early in the third quarter. This one, they lost with two seconds to go after being tied for leading essentially the whole game. Montana outgained them 544 to 427. John Wynn ran for 86 yards against the Bison, and they gave up two sacks to NDSU. 2015, lost 2014, or 24 to 21 to South Dakota. Another one where they tied or led the whole way until a field goal with zeros on the clock to steal the win. South Dakota outgained NDSU 395 to 320. South Dakota had two rushers with more than 90 yards. No turnovers for the Bison in this one, only gave up one sack. In 2016, lost 19-17 to to SDSU. This makes it three losses in a row. They lost with under two seconds on the clock. One second to go, a Jake Weineke TD pass to win. Taron Christian went for 141 on the ground. SDSU outgained NDSU 523-304. to Easton Stick got sacked once. SDSU uh, didn't have to punt one time the entire day, even though they only scored 19 points. Also 2016, you mentioned the JMU game, FCS semifinals, 27-17 in favor of the Dukes. JMU outgained NDSU by 95 yards. Khalid Abdullah had 180 on the ground for JMU. Easton Stick sacked once again. Three JMU receivers with catches over 40 yards. Interesting, the, the big plays that you talked about, they hit in that game in the past game. In 2017, lost to South Dakota State 33-21. to First game we found where there wasn't a big ground performance. Instead, Taron Christian threw for 329 yards. Easton Stick threw three interceptions and was sacked three times. Dallas Goddard, yes, that Dallas Goddard, had 116 yards in the air with a touchdown. South Dakota State plus 10 in time of possession. 2018 and 2019, undefeated. Congratulations. In the spring, again, threw those out. And then the one loss this year, 27-19 to South Dakota State. Second play of the game, you and me watched that one. And that was one of the times a strong safety got caught on the inside in the run game, went off tackle and went 75 yards to the house. The only man that has more rushing yards this year in the FCS than Quay Holmes is Pierre Strong. 75 yards on that touchdown, 156 on the ground that day. Cam Miller sacked once, and again a 27-19 to final. Okay, so all of that being said, breaking it down game by game, there are very, very, very few commonalities. And again, makes sense because if there were more, then you'd probably see more teams taking advantage of those, and NDSU wouldn't be the powerhouse that they are. There's nothing to attack. The only things that I found are you have to sack the quarterback at least once. That makes sense, right, because that's probably getting them off schedule. And because they like to run it so much, it's probably forcing them into longer situations, not going to convert, and that's at least one possession in a low-possession game that you can take and hopefully counter with offense. And the other one I think is more significant and definitely favors ETSU to an extent that all of those games, aside from one, had an opponent rusher in all those names that I mentioned Shakira Bell, David Johnson, John Wynn, so on and so forth, Taron Christian, Khalid Abdullah. All of those were opponent running backs. You have to have at least 80 yards on the ground from one running back. And in the one game that an opponent didn't that beat NDSU, 
They threw for over 300 yards. That was Taron Christian in that 2017 game in the loss to South Dakota State, 329 through the air. So there's a couple of things there. Now there's a couple of problems that come up, too, from looking at exactly where NDSU has been beaten and those commonalities that we saw. The Bucks have back-to-back sackless games. They have not sacked the quarterback in two games and did not look good up front without Timmy Dorsey against Kennesaw State last week. And if Timmy Dorsey does not play, that is bad news. Tyler Idell's career high in terms of yards through the air is 291. So if you need 300 or more, he hasn't gotten there yet. I talk about passing for 300 first in this case because rushing-wise, this is the best run defense that NDSU has had since they started their championship run in 2011. 83.1 yards allowed on the ground per game, more than six yards less than any other season during that time. This year, how many rushers have they given up more than 80 yards to? Well, half the teams that they've played have not gotten there. North Dakota did, lost by only six points, so they had a rusher that was over 80, an individual rusher that was over 80, lost by only six. We know South Dakota State did with Pierre Strong. But against their best run defense in their dominant decade, it's going to be a challenge. It's happened three times this year, right? You've had the one loss, the one close game, and then a third, I think it was against Indiana State, where they blew them out. But it doesn't happen often that you have an individual rusher over 80 yards this year, even though the run defense is as good as it has been. Some teams have gotten there, but still, 83 yards per game. I mean, it is just an incredibly large challenge for Quay Holmes, Jacob Sailors, and that offensive line. Get a sack. Get one of them over 80 yards. If you don't do that, throw for over 300 yards. And history says that you got a chance. But it is almost like finding a needle in a haystack when you look at how this team can be beaten. It, it has been that impressive. And I, I want to make sure that I say this. NDSU is very, 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 very good, and they have been the best FCS program probably in the history of the level if you include Division One AA over this period of time. But ETSU is not the team that the national media are making them out to be. They are not the team that the line in Vegas are making them out to be. They have shown that time and time again. And just because no one else knows anything about them and isn't sure how they're going to get this done doesn't mean they can't get it done. I think there is a path here to make this at least a close game. Victory would be monumental. I mean, it would be unbelievable. Um, But this team isn't going to get blown out. I don't think there's any way. we got a lot of bold predictions to get to. we got other FCS games to talk about. That's our... Thoughts. We'll go a little bit more in-depth with our three bold predictions on this game after this time. Actually, we'll do the FCS playoffs. Then we'll get our bold predictions right for this time out from Sam Nelson, the sidekick of the Bucket Air Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky. But for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun.
FCS playoffs. Three other games to talk about. One tomorrow night. Firstly, the thing that stands out to me about all these games is that they were one-score spreads, and then, of course, ETSU, last time I checked, 23-and-a-half-point dogs. The interesting thing, outside of my blue and gold rage that I've clearly been feeling this entire week, is that none of the games are separated by six or less in the spread, all six or seven points. So this is the guys in the know seeming to think that none of these games will be extremely close, maybe slightly lopsided. That Friday night game is Montana and James Madison, and I think this one's going to be spectacular. Last week, Montana was outgained 608 to 368, almost doubled up in yardage, gave up 28 catches for 356 and three touchdowns to two players. The rest of the team did pretty good, but that was just two players. Uh, and they still put up 57 points, even though they were outgained by 240 yards. The point per yard gained was uh, completely outrageous, if that's a stat. Uh, a pick six, fumble, and two turnovers is what did in. Uh, I believe it was Eastern Washington who they beat, and Eric Berrier threw for like 600 yards. It didn't matter. As for JMU, pretty impressive what they did to Cole Kelly last week. He still got his 397 and two touchdowns, but three picks as well, and Seller ran it for just 1.7 yards per carry, 25 totes, 42 yards on the ground. That JMU defense, obviously the real deal. Yeah, and I, I'd say I think this could be the one upset of the, the group. Um, again, if we handicap upsets, right? I think this would be the one I would put number one on the on the board because of what they can do defensively and what they were able. They gave up a lot of points early um, to Eric Berrier, who, by the way, watching him as little as he is off his back foot throw it like 55 yards on a beeline down the field was impressive to watch. Like, it is an incredible arm talent that young man has but see Montana kind of weather the storm and then kind of get back to what they were doing plus make special teams plays plus there's a little bit of blah over at JMU just like there is kind of at North Dakota State Uh, you know Sam Houston's making a leap James Madison's making a leap ticket sales for all three of those have been horrendous and uh, North Dakota State had somebody come in and buy a bunch of tickets to give away to Boys and Girls Club which is great Good, good for whoever bought those tickets to give away to some underprivileged children and may not be able to see a game, but that's what they're having to do to get more than 12,000 people there. JMU's having a hard time getting people in the stands. I think Montana can go in there and match JMU defensively, and I think they're a little bit more dynamic on offense. So I actually am going to call for the upset that Montana goes into um, Harrisonburg and picks up the W. Saturday's two games outside of ETSU and NDSU. First on ESPN Plus, 2 o'clock. South Dakota State favored on the road against a seeded team yet again. They made good on that last week, though it should be noted that Sacramento State, who was the four seed, were the only of the two teams to score in the second half. It was 24-3 at the break, 16 unanswered to end it. But the Jackrabbits, while stalling offensively, did just enough. Lead was five late. Your guy, former Sanford quarterback Chris Oladokun, pretends he's yelling at the sideline, walks that way, direct snap on fourth and one to running back Isaiah Davis, gets two. Sac State never got the ball back. Villanova had a tough time with Holy Cross. That was thought to be one of the more lopsided games of the day, but 21-16 to was the final. This game seems like it has potential to be like 10-7. to Nova has scored more than 35 just once in their last 10 games, and there's cause for concern for the Jackrabbits, too, if they've scored more than 27 just once in the last five. Three-loss SDSU favored by seven in Philly. The Jackrabbits led by, as we mentioned earlier, the only man with more rushing yards on the year in the FCS than Clay Holmes, Pierre Strong, Jr. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see. South Dakota State's going to have to make another trip, and we'll see if that – All the way across the country. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of curious to see if that uh, Villanova did enough right against Holy Cross. They're a team that's 
I think a little bit hard to figure. I kind of know what South Dakota State is. I've watched three or four of their games. I can kind of guess what they're going to be. Obviously, hard nose running. Oladokun can run. They'll do some play action, take a few shots, but they're going to run the football. Villanova's going to try to run the football. It's going to come down to defense, and Villanova, I think, has enough and will win ugly, and I'm, I'm going with a little bit of uh, road legs for South Dakota State, and Villanova will carry the flag for the CAA. Other game outside of that one, the nightcap, the defending national champion, Sam Houston State, 830 on ESPN Plus, taking on Montana State, and this should be a really fun game. Sam Houston didn't make it look easy against Incarnate Word last week. Needed a goal line stand as time expired to be able to keep their undefeated streak intact. It's now 21 in a row. The 42 they gave up to Incarnate Word just the fourth time this year. They let a team pass 20. Defense may have a chip on their shoulder after giving up their most points of the year. But Montana State defense is in top form. Shut down UT Martin last week. Gave up just seven points. They've given up more than 20 just once all season. That coming against in-state rival Montana in the last game of the regular season. The seven they gave up to the Skyhawks, the sixth time this season they've kept an opponent to single digits. They haven't scored more than 27 the past six games, though. I honestly don't have much of an idea what to expect this game. Montana State, second-best scoring defense in the land and great against the pass. Sam Houston, better on the offensive side of the ball, but they also hold opponents to 75 per game on the ground, fourth in the country. I think Sam Houston State is going to come out in this one and throw a lot of points on the board. I think it will be entertaining. I think it will be the highest-scoring game of um, – even more than I think JMU and Montana could do. And I think Sam Houston State, I don't want to say they're going to roll because that's not the right word, but I feel like they're going to get the offense going. They're going to put points up on the board and advance to the next round. We clearly care more about ETSU and NDSU than any of these games. We'll give them like a minute. We gave ETSU and NDSU like 52. Bold predictions. And even more now. After this. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Shohei Otani, I don't care this year. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 years. Hit a buck 20 max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered a U.S. national is JaVale McKee. NIL stands for never in life, as in never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Chase Sanders will never scout another drive in Johnson City Country Club. Senior Tour, here we come. Bold predictions. I'm up a lot. 13-4. Woo! I, I go double figures here. Ooh. I, could, yeah. I don't know. I kind of, you know, whatever. I hope Nail you get three right and I get three right. Let's go oh. six, six hey, and oh. Then we'll, reti- then we'll retire. Amazing. If we go six me. and oh, we're retiring everything. <laughs> that would be great for me. Um, go ahead. You're up. Oh, okay. Uh, right now. Okay, how about this? 200. I mentioned the stats, right? 
This will be the first time since I believe Greg Ryan. I'm almost done with the research, but I've gone 20-plus years. The ETSU quarterback has not gone three straight games with three touchdown passes. I'm going three touchdown passes to Tyler Wow. To think that he could be setting that kind of record. What a guy. He is incredible. Uh, I have a theme for these. When ETSU was this big of an underdog last, it was Vanderbilt, and the Bucks obviously dominated Vanderbilt 23-3. to I went back and found my only bowl prediction. We only did one for that game and because we did long-term as well. So we only did one for that actual game, and it was that this would be a one-score contest. I was wrong about the Vanderbilt-ETSU game. In fact, ETSU overcame that 21.5-point margin that Vegas had in the spread and won by 20. But, hey, I'm a superstitious guy, so I'm going, this is going to be a one-score game. Hopefully that pushes the Bucks to victory. It's kind of funny because I said 250 and three touchdowns in that game. I'm just not putting a yardage on it. I'm okay, just I, like three it. Guys. I like it. Or I can say 250 just to make it the exact same, but that's okay. Um, I think defense is going to come up with two picks uh, against Cam Miller. The only time this season two picks happened was when uh, Quincy Patterson was the quarterback. Miller, since inserted in the game five games ago, has not thrown more than one pick, and he's only thrown a couple picks in two of the four starts. I feel like ETSU is going to be able to get enough pressure to force some bad throws, and their secondary is good enough not to drop the balls that Miller leaves out there for people to pick up. And to my point of talking about the historical nature of the losses that NDSU has had, the commonalities in those getting pressure on the quarterback is one of them, have at least one sack. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sack to affect the quarterback and force some bad throws and maybe get an interception or two. And certainly if there's one secondary that is not going to drop a ball in the country at the FCS level, it seems like it's Huzzy, Price, Robinson, and DeLance. Uh, I, I found some other things from that Vanderbilt game that I was able to bring over to this week. Obviously not the bold prediction piece, but I'm going to make those things that happened in that game bold predictions. A parlay of 23 or more points for the offense, plus perfect in the red zone. Ooh, plus perfect in the red. That's a good one. ETSU got 23 points against Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. and we're perfect in the red zone. Okay. I'm going to go time of possession is going to favor the Bucks. 33 minutes or more time of possession. 33 or more. Okay, yeah. it's not just favor. It's going to be by six minutes or more. 33 minutes time possession wow. more for ETSU. Okay, that's impressive. I'm going to say that ETSU forces three or more turnovers, so a little bit on the same path of your two interceptions, but remember what ETSU did against Vanderbilt. They forced, I believe it was, what, a fumble and had the two interceptions? We'll take that again. Yeah, we'll absolutely take the three turnovers. So, for me, one score a game, 23 or more points, plus perfect in the red zone, and forcing three or more turnovers. I need some good mojo in the bowl predictions. The Bucs could use some good mojo on the field going up to Fargo. Let's have a perfect marriage of the two and come out with the upset, baby. And that's what I'm talking about. Woo! Six and oh. Three for me, three for Mike. It'll be come a good on. day. And then the celebration on Monday will be, you thought last week's was epic. Silly. Wait till you see what this Monday celebration will be us. like. Noon kick, 1030 on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Don't forget, you can go to Twitter and you can figure out how to tune in to the Buccaneer Sports Network and dub it over the horrible ESPN column show they'll have. Sandos and Sidekick, back Monday. Buccaneer Sports Network. <laughs>